Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr Andrew Corbett. We're pleased you've been able to join us for tonight's program. It's also a myth that, that if you put your mind to it, it's a guarantee of success. It's not. It's just not. And you might say, well, what evidence have you got for this? Life? I mean, if you don't know that this is a myth, you need to get out more. As you wander through life, have you ever found yourself asking the question, why? Or more specifically, why God? The why question reveals one of our deepest desires, to understand, and in doing so, to have a sense of control. Dr Corbett is engaging in a four-part series that seeks to explore the why question on four different fronts. Having already looked at why pain, why evil, and why loss, tonight is the conclusion of the series, the question, why failure? Let's join Dr Corbett now. We are today finishing up a series called Why, essentially, why God? Why? And, and for me, one of the, the most common things that hinder people from coming to faith in Christ, becoming Christian, is when they have these kind of questions, these what we might call stumbling block questions. And we've been looking at them uh, over this month and today we conclude this section with another one, why failure, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a moment. So we've seen why pain, and we've, we've dealt with some of the difficult issues, and we've seen why evil, and then in our last session we looked at why loss. Why, why is it that someone we love dies? And today I need to say a couple of things as we look at this why in this why series. And, and I guess I want to, as I deal with this why failure, I'm, I want to do a couple of things. I want to talk to two people actually. There's two people here and I want to talk to you. The first person I want to speak to is someone who has suffered because of failure, but not necessarily theirs. And, and I want to say that there is a failure that sometimes is inflicted on people. I'm very aware of that. I um, became uh, aware of something I heard, which was uh, the story of the security guy. This is before security at airports was invented. You know, this is before September 11, 2001. And it was the guy who checked in two guys, I think it was two guys, two, two three, four guys, into um, first class. Uh, I think, I'm not sure if it was at Baltimore or somewhere like that. And he said this, that afterwards he noticed, you know, the, who goes into first class? People wearing, you know, Italian suits and, you know, they don't carry bags because they have someone carry it for them and that kind of thing. And, but then he noticed these Middle Eastern guys going in with scuffed shoes that were really, really worn out. And he thought, that's really odd for first class. And it just troubled him. And then later that day, that was the plane that hit the Pentagon when those guys hijacked the, the cabin. And, and apparently this guy went into massive, this security guy went into massive guilt and depression because he felt he'd failed. <laughs> and so I don't suspect there's anyone here who is that dramatic. <laughs> that the drama of that has you know, fallen into your lap. But maybe it's something else. So whoever that is, that, I want to talk to you today because it's so easy in our culture to have what we might call false guilt. Guilt that you feel, but you shouldn't. 
Now, I'm not trying to make you all pathological here or sociopaths where you feel no guilt at all. That, do not misunderstand me. But there are people who, who, and I'll give you another example of this. Young child, very young child, parents divorce, the child blames himself for the breakup of their parents. You may have seen that. I've seen that many, many times. That child has false guilt. False guilt. Is this, my, is this water? Oh, thanks, darling. Anyone else like him to bring you a cup of, <laughs> cup of water? I was up early, and thank you, darling. Just, I'll, I'll try and drink this quietly. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> On our other stage, we couldn't do cups of water because we had electrical work everywhere. But it's okay here because there's a baptism right under here. So we could, I could fail, today would be a good day to fail, and spill that water. And we could just baptise people at the same time. It would be awesome. Anyway, so that's the first person I want to talk to is um, someone who has suffered because of someone else's failure. And then the second person I want to talk to today is someone who has failed and you have caused great hurt. And I hesitate to say it because I want you to hear my heart in this. I'm not up here as the bony-fingered prophet, you know, waving at you and, and, you know, you all leave here with a good clobbering and, you know, for some people that's a good experience at church. Not for me and I don't want it to be for you either. So what I want to do is talk to those two people, one who perhaps is had failure and its consequences inflicted on them and they feel guilt and shame because of it and secondly the person who has done something that has caused great hurt and at the end I want to just tell you my conclusion I, I normally normally if you're a visitor here today you think geez gone this this has been a quick message um, <clears throat> I'm just telling you my conclusion now and, th- and that's this I want to conclude by showing both of these people how to best deal with what they're going through so that's the journey we're going to go on this morning so if you keep that in mind and keep that I'm not trying to make people who don't feel guilty feel guilty that's not my mission at all in fact I want all the guilt just left behind that's my my mission so why failure and I've identified I guess how some people might see failure or how they might feel as if they failed when it comes to talking about things like their life goals. Anyone ever set a New Year's resolution that lasts about three days? Uh, it, it could be uh, you have a dream to be someone. I'm, gonna, I'm going to address that as well. You know, Children, I think, are told some very cruel things about the dreams they can have for their life. Um, it could be that you feel a failure because of love. Love may have gone sour. Love may not have come your way. Love may have not been all you'd hoped. And then it could be that you had certain financial goals and you feel a failure because life has dealt you a lot of debt. And that can happen. And um, again, I'm mindful of people who through no fault of their own, find themselves in precarious debt when life deals a a, a deck of cards that perhaps they can't handle. um, In this series, I'm really picking up on this thing that people ask God, why? You know, why do I go, why, why pain? Why is aunt whoever or my brother or my sister going through this? 
why, and as we've dealt with each of these, when we ask God, why did you let us fail? Asking God why he let us fail, I think, says a lot about how we view God. And so one of the things I I hope, if you're not one of those two people, or maybe you are one of those two people that I want to really talk to today, is I want us all to leave here with a clearer, grander picture of who God really is. I don't just want to make that up. I don't want to I don't want to give you a picture. I want you to see the picture. And sometimes you know we take a photo we take photos in the service and I've got the camera there that and we do that for pastoral care reasons so that we don't profile the photos in a digital database or anything like that. We just use it because we can't always see on a Sunday who's here, who's not here. So we use it for pastoral care and we can say, you know, they were there or whatever. And then we have a a Monday morning pastoral meeting and we do that. But sometimes the photo's out of focus and if you've got a camera, especially a DSLR camera, and if you've flicked it to manual, you can take photo and, and in the back of the little tiny viewer, it can look really cool. Like, oh great, you've nailed it. Then you put it on a screen. And you go, oh, dang, it's out of whack. It, the focus wasn't right. And I've discovered that sometimes even autofocus doesn't get it right either. And I think sometimes life will do that to our vision of God. It will whack our lens of who God is completely out of, out of focus. And we can end up with quite a distorted picture of God. But if we're asking God, why did you let us fail? Can, I'm wondering, what's the vision we have of God? Is it one where you know, he's in our corner as our butler? He's in our corner as kind of like a, a genie we can rub the lamp and out he comes and beckons us with more than three wishes, we hope. What's the deal here? And I think there's two powerful myths that I need to deal with as we, we talk about failure. And, and again, um, I've gone to pastors' conferences when you know, uh, young pastors usually with um, th- three, four-day growth and tattered jeans, which apparently are brand new, and uh, T-shirts that have not much on them except the brand, and um, usually some Italian bloke or something, or French or something, and they've gone, you know, I started my church three weeks ago with seven people in my lounge room, and a month later I had a 1,000 in the town hall, and then by the end of the mid-year I had 6,000. At the end of the year I had 12,000. If I did it, you can do it too. You know, I normally just say, just slide me under the door when you're done, fella, because I've been going at this thing in this church for, you know, this is now my 24th year here, and that's not my story at all. My story is, you know, we took a couple of steps forward, we took one back, we took another step forward, we took a couple back. And so, you know, I don't always feel like the guy. So I want you to know that. But I think there's a couple of powerful myths that really set people up to feel like that a lot. And these are two myths, and sometimes these myths are even perpetuated in the church. And so here's one you'll hear, and um, if you're a representative of the Kurong Bookstore fridge magnet department, I apologise a little bit. But here's here's a fridge magnet you'll see. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yes! Come on, let's, let's get that Amway rally up. You can go double diamond or whatever before lunch. And and can I just tell you, this is a great segue to the first myth, I think, is a myth that needs to be dealt with. And that's this, that you can become anything you want to be or achieve anything you put your mind to. Can I tell you that is a myth? 
Lynn, did you ever think later in life that you wanted to take up basketball? <laughs> you, did you look at Michael Jordan and go, that could be me, yeah. that could be me? <laughs> you know, this, I'm sorry, Linda, burst your bubble. But that soap feeling you're going to feel on your face now is me bursting it because there is, sorry, no way. Lynn could be, if she wanted to be, an Olympic, you know, Australian Olympic representative in the women's basketball team. It's just, you can't, it's just a myth that you can be whoever you want to be. It's just a myth. You can't be. I've got more I could say about that. It's also a myth that, that if you put your mind to it, it's a guarantee of success. It's not. It's just not. And you might say, well, what evidence have you got for this? Life? I mean, if you don't know that this is a myth, you need to get out more. You need to talk to three people here today, and I just say random. Just pick random people and just ask them, has this been a reality in your life? They go, no, it's a myth. Didn't you hear the guy this morning? It's a myth. Here's the second fridge magnet verse that can really mess people up too. <laughs> Having just preached 200 parts on Jeremiah, <laughs> and when we got to this one, I actually did point out this was a myth. Now, it's a myth because if you look at that first verse, um, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I just ask, have a look at the verse before it. Paul talks about hardship, trial, adversity. And then have a look at the verse after it where he talks about, you know, even though I'm going through this really, really difficult time, you've stood with me. That's essentially the context of I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, Christ will get you through your difficulty, not that you can have instant success and this one you may ha already have this on your fridge <laughs> uh, um, for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans for welfare not for evil to give you a future and a hope it goes on and says plans to prosper you just if you want to bring in the next verse here's the thing and you'll hear me say this often scripture is not written to us it's written for us so the first question we've got to ask if we really want to understand a scripture is who is this written to and can I tell you, this is written to Jews in captivity in Babylon and this was Jeremiah's encouragement to them that this is not the end of God's purposes for them as a people. That's who it's written to. And now that I've said that, I want you to think these people were captive and exiled to a foreign land where they did not want to be. And that was the verse. And Jeremiah goes on and says that captivity will last 70 years. So that's, that's the thing. So here's the second myth that this gives me a segue to, and it's this, that God would never let me fail. It's a myth. God will never let you fail is a myth. Now, before you go, oh, goody, man, came here to be encouraged and to slide me under the door when you're done, man. I just, I'm only saying this so that we get a grip of reality here. It's not because I want anyone to fail. I don't want people to fail. I don't want people to feel like a failure and I don't want people to beat themselves up and say, oh, I'm no, you know, no good, and just, you know, like Pooh Bear or, or whatever. Or Eeyore, sorry, Eeyore. Pooh Bear's awesome. It's Eeyore who's the problem. So, so I want you to consider Hebrews chapter 11. 
What do these people that I'm about to mention from Hebrews chapter 11, who are called the heroes of faith, some Bibles will have this as the subheading, what do they have in common? Listen to these names, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Gideon, Jephthah, David. What do they have in common? They all failed. And some of them really big time failed. Hebrews 11 finishes off with this thing and I know that there are people who refer to Hebrews 11 as the faith and we can do anything and through Christ we have strength and God's plans is to prosper you. Here's what that faith chapter says right at the end. Others suffered mocking, flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. That's um, not, it's a different stoning. They were sown, sawn in two, sorry. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. Hallelujah. Who claims that promise? And that's another topic about how we treat scripture as well. You see, the point here is that this is written so that we get a grip of reality and reality is akin to what we call truth. The truth of the situation is that life will sometimes suck. That's a Hebrew word, by the way. It sounds very similar in English, very, very similar. I'm kidding because I just saw somebody, he said, what? Anyway, I want to deal with different kinds of failure so that we understand what we are talking about. There's different kinds of failure. There's the kinds of failure that we might consider to be trivial. These are trivial failings that we, we can fail. For example, I was introduced to Eggs Benedict by Michael, your dad. Michael introduced me to Eggs Benedict. Never since then, I've been I wouldn't say addicted, I've been, I've been an appreci- I, an, one who appreciates a nice Eggs Benedict. And I thought, well, it can't be that hard. <laughs> and having tried over these last 10, 12 years to get it right, I don't think I've ever got it right. So there's trivial things like cooking your breakfast. And you've got to understand when I say cooking your breakfast, think, cooking your breakfast, how hard is it to put Wheaties in the thing and put milk on? That's not hard. Yeah, I'm, not ta- I'm talking about making yourself Eggs Benedict when the egg, the yellow bit is like hard and the hollandaise sauce is just, as Kim says, you may put a little bit too much lemon in that. And so <laughs> that's a fail, but it's a pretty trivial fail, really. But then there's, then there's a different kind of failure. So I'm not I don't want to focus on the trivial kind of failure. There's the kind of failure that that actually really hurts. It hurts when you fail an exam that you've really studied for. It, it, It actually hurts. And if you're the parent of a uni student child who's done poorly and failed at exams and there's lots and lots of tears. And, and then there's the kind of hurt from failing at a job interview, your job you really, really wanted and you didn't get it. And for me, that's a failure that hurts, really, really hurts. And it's not one that you can laugh about at all. Then there's another kind of failing. And I've already told you, because I've said I want to talk to two people and and they've both been affected by this kind of hurt. And this is what I would describe as failure that causes tremendous hurt. Tremendous hurt. Uh, and that kind of hurt, I feel silly even giving you examples of it because you're going to go, oh, you missed some out. And that's not my point. An example is just a sample example. And that could be infidelity. It could be that you've been betrayed and, and it really, really hurts. It could be that you are the 
someone who has been afflicted by a crime and and I'm guessing I thought there might be younger people listening there will be eventually younger people listening to me so I'm just going to use the word violent crime but you can use your imagination to and then it could be the kind of tremendous hurt that comes from marriage breakdown and these things really really hurt and and again I I'm speaking to two people here and I've already told you that sometimes in in fact I'm going to say and this is please this is not I'm not trying to add to people's guilt and shame I'm not but I just want to say this particularly young people who've never taken that step of marriage but will and God willing will and as I've already said please have lots of babies and disciple them and 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 let's do really well at that and but I have walked through divorce with couples who've had young children and I have said the silly question how are your kids handling this and you know in every instance both parties have independently said to me oh really really well (sighs) and they never have never have so I want to I want to now sort of go okay now you understand why we're about to get in the car and go for a drive and I've given you a bit of a road map and now I want to tell you some of the give you some of the destinations so you, you begin to process this the man described as the man after God's own heart failed terribly and caused tremendous hurt you know the things I mentioned those examples they weren't random you know the infidelity the capital crime the marriage breakdown I didn't just pluck those out of the air I actually drew them from this man's life it says in 1st Samuel chapter 13 I haven't got this scripture on the screen you may want to look at this but 1st Samuel chapter 13 starting at verse 14 we have this reference about King David it says this but now your kingdom this is talking to Saul actually but now your kingdom should not continue the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart and the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you so Saul has failed and God has said I've found someone who's a man after my own heart and that of course was David and you may know that David became king and eventually as he got older he through a series of events he was in his palace when ordinarily he would have been out with his troops defending his country but on this occasion he wasn't and I'm going to pick up this story of how he ended up committing adultery and it just went horrible from there on and as I do that I want to I want to point out that David's downfall is actually a very typical pattern and it's a typical pattern that's actually outlined a lot more clearly and a lot more specifically in James chapter 1 and I think because it's such a clear pattern it's in scripture for us it's in uh, the, the accounts named after Samuel not uh, Chronicles but Samuel and Kings and so here's the here's what we see from David temptation Now, temptation's not sin but when you entertain it 
it can become sin and David was tempted and again I haven't got these scriptures on the screen but reading from 2nd Samuel chapter 11 verse 1 in the spring of the year the time when kings go out to battle David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel and they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah but David remained in Jerusalem it happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing presumably bathing in a tub on top of her roof which was lower and the woman was very beautiful what David should have done at that point was looked away probably gone inside and had a cold shower or something but that's not what happened in fact the next step in his downfall happened he began to think about this woman 2 Samuel chapter 11 and verse 3 and David sent and inquired about the woman and one said is not this Bathsheba the daughter of Eliam the wife of Uriah the Hittite so David sent messengers and took her and she came to him and he lay with her which is a, a nice way of saying something not nice in this instance he committed adultery with her he had sexual intercourse with her now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness which was something required in Jewish custom then she returned to her house so what's happened here is David's done the wrong thing this is what we might call compromise David has compromised and so in the compromise David has done wrong so David's done wrong and it says in verse 4 of, of 2 Samuel 11 so David sent messengers and and took her and she came to him she lay with him now they've been purifying herself uncleanness so and then there's the the cover-up in verse 5 it says and the woman conceived and she sent and told David I am pregnant so David sent word to Joab send me Uriah the Hittite and Joab sent Uriah to David when Uriah came to him David asked how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war was going then David said to Uriah go down to your house and wash your feet and Uriah went out of the king's house and there followed him a, a present from the king but Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. When they told David Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Have you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Verse 11 of 2 Samuel 11, Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths or tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat? and drink and to lie with my wife as you live and as your soul lives I will not do this thing then David said to Uriah remain here today also and tomorrow I will send you back so Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next and David invited him and he ate in his presence and drank so that he made him drunk and in the evening he went out to lie on his couch with the servants of the Lord but he would not go to his house in the morning David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah in the letter he wrote set Uriah in the forefront of the hardest battle then draw back from him that he may be struck down and die and as Joab was besieging the city he assigned Uriah to the place where he knew 
there were valiant men. And the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the servants of David among the people fell. Uriah the Hittite also died. Then Joab sent and told David all the news about the fighting and he instructed the messenger, when you have finished telling all the news about the fighting to the king, then if the king's anger rises and if he says to you, why did you go so near the city to fight? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall who killed Abimelech the son of Jerobashah? Did not a woman cast up a millstone on him from a wall so that he died at Thebes? Why did you go so near the wall? Then you shall say to the king, your servant Uriah the Hittite is also dead. So the messenger went and came and told David all that Job had sent to tell him. And so now in this cover up that David's tried to do, exposure is about to happen and it says in 2nd Samuel chapter 12 verse 1 and here's this guy Nathan and uh, I wonder how many of us would like a, a guy like this this Nathan the prophet guy in our lives who'd like to have a have drinks with Nathan you know friend Nathan if you know anything about this guy he's crazy scary so here's what happened and the Lord sent to Nathan sent Nathan to David and he came to him and he said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich, the other one poor. The rich man had many, very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. That's all we have time for tonight, but you can order the full length version of tonight's discussion on CD or premium download by going to our website, findingtruthmatters.org and selecting Why Failure from our online store. As we've heard tonight, there are some great fridge magnet quotes lifted from the Bible which are supposed to jeer us along when we fear failure. But when we misuse scripture, we risk treating God like our own personal genie or butler. In the presence of failure, God is in the business of redeeming and restoring broken lives. That's the conclusion of this four-part series exploring the why question. More from Dr. Corbett next week. Dr. Corbett is pastor of Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.